So we are an amazingly fortunate people, and we're continuing a study in the book of Galatians. We started last week. If you turn to Galatians chapter 1, please, with me this morning. I'm going to pick up where Matt left off in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to begin in, in verse 11 this morning, and I'm going to read through uh, the end of the chapter. <clears throat> For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. You want to underline that, put stars next to it, put arrows pointing to it, because that is really the theme of all we're looking at in this study. There is no other gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he used to persecute us. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Father, we bend our hearts before you this morning, before your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you today that you would be our teacher. We know you've been sent for that express purpose, to teach us and to lead us into all truth, to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And I pray this morning that these words of Paul, Lord, would be opened up to us by the Holy Spirit. Even if we are very familiar with them, Lord, may we learn today anew by your Spirit what you have for us. And we thank you for this opportunity and this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have entitled this whole teaching, No Other Gospel, really. That's the teaching of the whole book. But this morning, I'm going to talk to you about this subject alone, and it is that of having a revelation of Jesus Christ, is that the importance of having a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to have a revelation of Christ. I want to tell you as we begin, though, the book of Galatians falls into three sections. The first section, you could say, really, there's six chapters, so it's two each. The first two are Paul's autobiography. It's really Paul telling you about what happened in his life 
after conversion, leading up to it and and then after immediately. The second two sections or two chapters which make the second section are theology. And then the last two are ethics. So the first two is spiritual autobiography as he tells his story. And it confirms that he is a true apostle and he's preaching the true gospel of grace. The theology of the true gospel is then laid out in chapters 3 and 4. And it is primarily the theology of justification by faith alone. In Christ, by faith alone. And the theme of that section is in verse, chapter 3, verse 11, when Paul writes, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith alone. And we'll look at that in a few weeks. Then the last two chapters conclude Paul's letter with the ethics that we are now called to live by. And Paul then will take his theology and he will apply it to daily life. As I was praying and reading about, thinking about these things this week, I want to just encourage you with this thought that so often on Sundays, people are going, well, how does this apply to my life? Or I like so-and-so the way they teach because what they teach, they always apply it to my life. And I'll say to you, that's an important thing and a good thing. But I was praying and I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, the thing is, is that so often all God wants you to do is learn more about him. The application is growing in your knowledge of God. The application is growing in your understanding of what this Christian life is. And so we should be content as well simply to have the Holy Spirit teach us more about God, to grow in our knowledge of God, and maybe not, not, not walk away with three little things that we can put in our pocket that are application that are easily applied all the time. The Lord will do that, and that's important. But oftentimes, he simply wants you to know who he is. Because growing in faith will cause us to change the way we live. Amen. Our text this morning is, was first introduced by Paul, actually, in the very first verses of the book when he was defending his apostleship and he wrote these words in verse 1, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. An apostle not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So in these verses, he is essentially saying the same things that he says in verses 11 and 12 when he wrote, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, he emphasizes that again, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This statement is the key statement of this whole letter. It may be the key statement in in one sense of the whole New Testament because it separates and distinguishes Paul's gospel, which is the true gospel, which is now our gospel, from every other so-called gospel that is being preached today. Now look at these words again in verse 11 and 12. The gospel that was preached by me, he says, is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I even taught it. Now that's an interesting 
point. And we're going to come back to that in a few moments. But then he uses these words, but I received it. Where was it? Was it floating by? Whatever it is that he's preaching now, he received it by, he says, revelation. Matt introduced last week, he introduced us to this battle which Paul was waging uh, in this letter to the Galatians when he told us that there were men who had come into the church of the Galatians and they were telling the Gentile believers that they had to be circumcised to be truly saved. They had to add to what they had believed in order to be truly saved. And we find in the letter that Paul is going to be incredibly uncompromising, even aggressive, almost bordering on belligerent as he confronts these men and this lie. He says, let anyone who preaches a different gospel than what he had preached, let them be accursed. Strong language, Paul. He even then exposes Peter in the letter. He says he had to rebuke Peter publicly for his hypocrisy because he was cozying up to these men when they were there. And when they weren't there, he was living by faith amongst the Gentiles. But then when the Judaizers came in, he was withdrawing from the Gentiles out of fear of the Judaizers. And Paul confronts him in this letter. And he tells the Galatians what he said to them, what he said to Peter in the letter. He's not being nice. He's not being careful not to offend because there's something rising up in him that he's defending the truth of the gospel with such an incredible passion that he doesn't care if he's being perceived as being in any way unkind or offensive. It's interesting today, we're so worried all the time of offending when it comes to defending the gospel. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be kind and considerate and aware. But when it comes to what we're dealing with today, so often we have to speak the truth boldly. But let it be in love, amen, even though it's not perceived to be in love. Paul then spoke of three, excuse me, Matt then spoke of three examples in our time that are counterfeit gospels. This is kind of a brief review. There are so many false gospels today in our time, but the three that he addressed are very common today, and he called them first the activist gospel, which is, which is charged with political activism, a social gospel, a woke kind of a thing, gospel. Then there is the therapeutic gospel, the gospel that's being preached that just make us feel better about ourselves and help us somehow. And then there is the moralistic gospel, which is a gospel of doing the right things in order to be accepted by God. And these three gospels are, are widely propagated today in the church in America and across even the face of the earth. And then Matt made a very important statement as he introduced them that I'm going to draw upon this morning as well, when he said that often we see them in their origins within culture itself. These gospels that are being preached that are not the true gospel today often are first seen within the context of culture. That's where they originate, as opposed to what Paul said, they are coming from men. 
They're coming from the thoughts of men, from the philosophies of men, from the ideas of men. And they're commingling them with the gospel that is the true gospel, but it is now changing it to the point of where it is no longer the true gospel of Christ. This is the point today, and this is Paul's point in this text, that his gospel had no human, earthly genesis or beginning. It did not originate in the heart of man or in the mind of man. It originated in God's heart. And so Paul would say that his gospel is eternal, that it has been in God's heart from all Eternity. That is an amazing, amazing thing. And this is driven home by Paul in his use of one word, at least twice in this text, but throughout the New Testament over and over again. And it is the Greek word, apocalypsis. It's a cool word, say it. Apocalypsis. It's fun to say. Do you know which word in English it translates into? Okay, apocalypse is one. But in the context of what we're reading, do you know which word it would be? Revelation. It's the word revelation in English. And that word means to uncover. It means to reveal, to make something that had been hidden known. Biblically, it is the disclosure of God's truth. Truths that people could not arrive at without divine initiative or enabling. Truth that people could not arrive at without divine initiative or enabling. And though there are almost a hundred occurrences of the root of this word or the word itself in the Bible, the Bible does not, listen, so much discuss or reflect on Revelation as it simply assumes it. It embodies it and it conveys the truth of it on its pages. You see, the New Testament and the Bible itself is a book of Revelation. It is a book that uncovers and reveals the thought and the intent of God for man. Eternal thoughts. An eternal plan. Now, you and my minds have to go tilt when we use words like this. Because it is obviously beyond our comprehension. And that's the point. That's the point of how glorious this faith is that we believe. That's the point of how wonderful this faith that we live in is. The origin of it is God's heart and mind eternally. And you and I, for some reason, have been allowed to see it and to understand it. And I have to tell you, honestly, as I ponder these truths and as I think about them, as I pray about them, as I, it leads me always to worship. It, it breaks me. It humbles me because I go, why, Lord, me? Why me? Why have you let me understand this? And I'm so thankful that he has. And not only to understand it, but I get to do what I'm doing right now. I get to speak to you about it. What an incredible privilege. This eternal plan of God. And Paul grasps it. This blows my mind. He somehow is able to comprehend it. And I'm going to talk about that again in a moment. 
But he only did it because God enabled him to. It wasn't, even though he was brilliant, and he, he even allows us to, in his humility, to see how, how far he was advancing in Judaism in his own time, far beyond even his peers his own age, he said. And he, that had nothing to do with what he received, though. Because even a child can see it. Even a child can understand these things when they are revealed to him or her by the Spirit of God. There are passages like this throughout the New Testament that convey this truth that Paul is speaking of, this, of this apocalypsis, this revelation taking place. For example, Hebrews 1.1. 1, long, ago, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our, our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Some translations say, in his son or by his son. But the point is, is that it was in Christ. It was the person of Christ by whom God spoke to us. That it is Christ, is, Christ is the message of Paul's gospel. Christ is the message of the gospel. All that is about Christ is our message, our gospel. And so we must understand only because of the Spirit allows us to, the mystery that Paul uses the word mystery of Christ. Or how about Ephesians 3, 1 through 5? Listen to this text. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, I love this, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, what's he speaking of? He's speaking of the gospel being given to him. He's stewarding the grace of God. He said, how the mystery, listen, was made known to me by revelation, by apocalypsis. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight. And here he says it this way, into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. As it has now been revealed, that's the same word, apocalypsis, revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. That whole four or five verses. Paul is speaking of this mystery, this, this revelation that it was given to him, which is the truth of the gospel in Christ. The person of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ. And then maybe one of my favorite texts in all the New Testament, Romans 16, 25 through 27. He ends his, his letter to the Romans with this incredibly beautiful statement. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Listen to his language. And the preaching of what? Of Jesus Christ. According to the apocalypsis of the mystery, which was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is being made known to all the nations according to the command, of, here's the word, eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Can we just say this? Amen. Wow. What a mouthful. But not just a mouthful, what a heartful. 
What an amazing outpouring of, of, of revelation, even of words that Paul would choose to use to take all of this and summarize it, if he could, in a couple of state one sentence, one sentence. Because he himself has been so overwhelmed by what God showed him and what God did for him and allowing him to see this and to understand it. And going back to Galatians 1, having just encountered the risen Christ on his way to Damascus, Paul is, has retreated, he says, to Arabia for three years in verse 18. For three years, he went into, back into the desert. What was he doing, I wonder? Okay, put, put yourself, if you can, in his shoes. Some of us have been in those shoes in, to some degree or another. His life was turned upside down. He did a 180 completely in his life. Everything that he believed, everything he thought was absolutely, absolutely being upended. His identity, who he saw himself to be, what his life was being established and being built on was being confronted. It had been confronted through his encounter with this resurrected Christ in one moment. He's so under, wanting to understand, he withdraws into the desert for three years by himself. I'm not saying he was not with other people, but he was not seeking anybody out. He was not going to talk to anybody. He was alone. What was he doing, I wonder? I think he was rereading the prophets. I think he was praying and asking God to help him understand what had happened to him. What was really true? I remember right after I got saved, being saved out of Catholicism as a young boy, then I went into agnosticism, and then I encountered the risen Christ in a week. My life was turned upside down. We went back to Catholicism as soon as we were, Kath and I got saved because that's all we knew. And we went to it on a retreat, and it was a Catholic charismatic retreat. And so in this retreat, there was a spirit-filled priest teaching for the week weekend. And I'm sitting listening to him, and he was Brilliant. He was brilliant, teaching on the Trinity and other things. And all of a sudden, he started touching some things. And I was a baby, baby Christian. But I had been reading the New Testament voraciously. And he made a point about purgatory. And we were in this large conference, and I raised my hand. And he saw it. And he actually acknowledged me. And I said, I called him Father. I said, Father, let me ask you something. You're telling me that if I walked outside this door right now and I got hit by a car, but I had previously just sinned that I would not be in heaven, I would not be with the Lord? And he said, that's right. And I didn't say anything, but my heart went, no. And I went to Kath afterwards and we were in the room and I said, babe, this is not true. This is a lie. And she looked at me like a devil's got a hold of you. But I knew it. I knew. I knew that what God had been showing me was the truth. And so we hungered to know the true gospel. And we began pursuing it. Paul was going through that. He was trying to figure out what he had learned, what was true of what he had learned, what was not true, how to, how to take it all and how to somehow synthesize it. He was coming to understand the true meaning of the Passover, the true meaning of what happened in the Exodus. How it pointed to Christ. 
He was understanding the book of Leviticus and the sacrifices. And what all of that must have represented, how it was foreshadowing the cross. He began to understand the, the work of the high priest and now how Christ has become our great high priest and a mediator. It maybe all didn't come to him at once, but he was probably coming to his understanding as he read and prayed and thought. He was probably considering the law and his own inability to keep it. And the shame and the condemnation came, that came to him because he was unable to keep the law. And he was probably realizing his newfound freedom and his conscience being cleaned. Do you remember your conscience being cleansed for the first time? It's like nothing you've ever felt before. When you realize, I'm forgiven, I'm clean. There's no shame anymore. Paul must have been dealing with all of that emotion. And it is emotional. He was coming to understand the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. And the amazing truth, the amazing truth that everything that he needed was by grace alone through Christ. That almost sounds like heresy. To him, it would have been in this Judaic mindset. And he was receiving all of this by revelation. God was revealing it to him by the Spirit. And it must have been an amazing, holy, and a worshipful time that knocked his socks off. I remember the week that I got saved, laying on a bed, reading the New Testament for the first time in my life, weeping as the Lord be, revealed himself to me. It was by revelation. And all I, I said this over and over again. It's true. It's true. I wept. It's true. It's true. I could only say that again because God was making it so real to me. No one had ever told me any of this. No one had ever explained any of this. It was the Spirit of God speaking and teaching me through the reading of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And after those three years, he tells us in this text we just read that he went then to Jerusalem after three years to finally meet with Peter and James, Jesus' brother. And he was with them for 15 days. Man, he's precise. Not 13, not 16. He was with him for 15 days. And what was he there doing? He probably had a million questions for them again. He probably wanted to know, tell me about this man. Tell me what he said to you. Tell me what he was doing. Peter was, Paul was not with them when Jesus was walking on the earth. He probably wanted to know, what did he say after he was raised to you? What did he teach you about this? What do you understand about this? And then he makes a point. Look at verse 19. Then he makes a point and he says this, but I saw none of the other apostles except James. And he says, I'm not lying. Honest. I only saw Peter and I only saw James. Why does he make a point of saying that? Because he's almost, I think in Paul's mind, he didn't want to get this thing all mucked up with more people speaking to him. He goes, no, I got enough. I got enough. I'm not going to talk to any of these other guys. Not that I don't respect them. 
but I'm sorry, I don't need to hear from you. I'm going to go take this back now and seek God again. And then this is amazing. He tells us in chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Now he had a couple of brothers with him because now he'd been preaching the gospel and now he had people that had believed and he had friends and he had co-workers with him. He took two of them with him and they went up because of a revelation, apocalypsis. What was the revelation? It was the gospel of grace. It was set, and he set it before them privately. Before, listen to this. Before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. He was already 14 years into this. He's seeing fruit. And now he says, I'm just going to take this to them and I'm going to lay it before them and I'm going to make sure that what I'm preaching is what they also believe. It's humble. It's wise. I remember I picked up Michael Eaton. I don't know if you remember Michael. Brilliant theologian. He's passed on now to, to be with the Lord. He came to preach in our church a number of years ago. I picked him up at the airport. God had been speaking to me some things. And it was when I was learning of the, the truth of new creation. And I was formulating my theology of new creation life. And I picked him up at the airport. He got into the car and I said, I want to ask you something. Tell me if I'm on the right track or not on this. Tell me if I'm off on a tangent. And, and so I explained to him this theology that I was beginning to develop in my own understanding of my study. And he looked at me and he said, yes. He said, I think you're onto something. You see, God speaks to us. He'll continue to speak. Brothers and sisters, don't be satisfied. You've probably read Galatians a number of times. Let the Spirit of God teach you the depths of these truths of Christ. As soon as you become content, you will stop hearing and then guess what? It becomes religion. It becomes, it becomes routine. Or it becomes entertainment. It becomes boring. You, it, this, is, this is an unveiling of an of eternal mystery that the human mind cannot comprehend all at once. Because it actually goes beyond the mind into the inner man where we first understand it. It's, yes, it's true. It's true. Now, me, help me to understand it with my mind. Although I truly believe it now, help me to understand it with my mind. I pray that all the time. You see, this is the very essence of Christianity, brothers and sisters. It is God's plan. It is God's initiative it is God's means. It is God's activity. It is God's gospel that we believe and preach. It is not man's. And anything that originates in the heart of man and is added to this distorts it and becomes a lie, ultimately. Because usually the thing that man contrives become, becomes the emphasis of it. And suddenly, guess what? The cross is ignored and neglected. The cross becomes offensive. The cross becomes 
too hard to accept and believe and live out. Modern man does not want to hear about the cross. Modern man does not want to hear that you must come and lay your life down and die and give up everything to follow this man. Modern man does not want to hear that. That's the cross. A gospel that, origin, that, that originates in the heart of man will emphasize, will emphasize a therapeutic, oh, let me help you. Let me help you be happy. Let me help you feel better about yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being happy, but that's not the gospel. Because before you can feel good about yourself, you have to lose your life for his sake. You have to be willing to lose it, to lay it down. Well, why don't you add this to it? If you just begin to do this, God will really be pleased with you. No. No. Obedience is the fruit of faith. Because you believe, then you live. Because you believe, then you act. Acting does not cause you to believe. It does not cause God to be impressed with you. But I have shame Lay it at the foot of the cross, brothers and sisters. I have guilt. Lay it at the foot of the cross. The blood of Jesus will wash it and cleanse you. But I did this yesterday and I'll do it again tomorrow. Lay it at the foot of the cross and pray and ask the Spirit of God to enable you to resist that temptation. He will. But isn't the gospel all about changing the world? No, it's not. There is a new creation that will one day come forth that you and I will live in in eternity. Yes, we look forward to that day. This world is passing away. And God actually created it for us to use it, not to try to preserve it. Yes, to steward it, but he, he created it for man to use it, to use it. Cut a tree down and build a house. Nothing wrong with that. That's not the gospel, that cutting trees down. <laughs> well, it's part of my gospel. This is who we are. We are a people. People who live in, in freedom with understanding of what really this whole thing is all about. That's why it can be so frustrating to not to preach to people and, and to share your faith with people and never get a response because they have to have it uncovered by God for them. They have to have a revelation. They can't figure it out. I have friends, they want to figure it out first. They want to understand it first. It can't be proven to them so that they will believe. You can have a, a good answer for your faith, but you can never prove any of this to satisfy someone's unbelief. This gospel cannot be improved upon. It is perfect. It's incredibly deep and mysterious and wise and brilliant, the plan of God from eternity it can't be tinkered with or changed to accommodate modern man. It is what it is. 
It is what God says it is. It is what God alone has done for man. And that's why all these other gospels that are out there are so predictable because their goal is somehow to usually try to enhance or to try to help or to try to enrich men by human means and by human wisdom. It can't be done. This gospel can't be added to. It's Christ crucified. It's the mystery of Christ unveiled. It's the plan of God in Christ from all eternity. It's the Son of God being willing to lay his life down from all eternity. It's the humility of Christ lowering himself, pouring himself out for sinful men like you and I. And it's, it's the mystery of those who would put their faith in this man who would then enter into eternal life because of their faith in a single man in his act. And it's the power of the cross at work today in my life and in your life. And it's the Spirit of God that indwells us. It's the resurrection life of Christ that indwells us today because of the work of this one man on that cross and his obedience. Amen. This revelation is what Paul was speaking of in this chapter, this unveiling, this uncovering of the person of Christ. It is the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul's words in verse 15. I'm coming for a landing here. Listen to his words. I love this verse, verse 15. Galatians 1.15. But when he had, when he who had set me apart before, listen, before I was born, Okay, we could stop there and preach for, for weeks, and I would love to, believe me. I would love to. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal, apocalypsis, his son to me, some translations say in me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So here we have three important truths that make up this gospel that I hope we will unpack in the weeks to come. And if I have anything to do with it, we will. God's sovereign election, first of all, before I was born, he set me apart before I was born. That speaks of election. The election of those who are predestined for adoption. Being chosen by God before the foundation of the, the earth for adoption. Then subsequently called, justified, sanctified, and glorified by grace alone who called me by his grace. Who called me by his grace. And then thirdly, was pleased to reveal his son to me. All of this is due to grace and known only because God has revealed his son to us. Romans eight twenty nine and 30 our, Paul takes this truth of Galatians 1.15 and he speaks of it again in Romans 8.29 and 
and 30. And I'll read it to you because I don't have a slide or keynote for it. Let me read it. You know it. You can turn there with me if you'd like. Romans 8, 29 and 30. It comes after the familiar 8, 28. We know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good who are called according to his purpose, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then the very important word for is in the beginning of verse 29. How can we be so sure, Paul, of Romans 8, 28, that all things will work together for my good, doggone it. He said, for those whom he foreknew, there it is, foreknew, that's what Paul was speaking of. Before I was born, he set me apart. He predestined. You see, you have a predestiny. Your destiny has been set by God in all eternity. That's amazing. Christ came so that you could live out your destiny. He came so that you would experience the foreordained destiny of God for your life. He did that for you and for me. And nothing can change that. That is not changeable. That cannot be altered. It cannot be in any way contradicted, deterred. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then he says this, in those whom he gave this foreordained destiny to, he then called. Sovereign calling upon our lives. Not a calling to ministry, a calling to him. A calling to Christ, a calling to salvation, a calling to faith. Come to faith. In that week of my life as I was at home in my sin and in my suffering, in my weakness, in my foolishness, in my drug addiction, as I'm seeking God for the first time in my whole life, the Spirit of God called to me and he said, come to him. Come and believe upon him. And faith was awakened in me by grace. And I believed and I kept saying again and again, it's true, it's true, it's true. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. He pronounced us not guilty. It's true. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's interesting, he skips sanctified. But he actually, he spoke of sanctified in verse 20, 29 that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's sanctification. Brothers and sisters, this is the true gospel. Paul saw this and understood this because the Lord revealed it to him by revelation. And everything began to fall into place. Everything clicked. Everything fit. There must have been a million ahas for Paul. 
And so he sat down, he began, to, he began to preach the gospel that he was hearing. And he preached it in this region called Galatia. And a number of, of Gentiles believed it. And Paul must have been ecstatic because he was sent to them, not to the Jew originally. He was sent to the Gentile to preach Christ crucified. And they put their faith in Christ. And he must have been ecstatic to see these churches begin to grow as he began to preach to them. And suddenly he hears, but wait a minute. The Jews have come in, Judaizers, those who claim to believe in Christ have come in and they're saying now to these Gentile Christians, no, that's not enough. Paul said, yes, it is enough. It is, it's all you need. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Brothers and sisters, let's not be fools and be bewitched. And I pray that revelation I pray that you would have a desire for revelation. I pray that you would have a desire for the mystery of Christ to be increasingly unveiled to you, revealed to you. I pray that you would not be content with just what you've already come to understand. And now it's become boring. And now you're just not interested to read the Bible anymore because I've already read all of this. Or I've heard a thousand messages on this. The world is more exciting. This is an eternal plan, an eternal plan in Christ that you have had the privilege of understanding and seeing. Wow. And if you're here today and you do not yet believe, let me say to you, the Lord has your number. If, in fact, he has set you apart, you will believe. Trust me. I don't know when, but you will. Why not today? Put your faith in the Son of God. Has faith been awakened in you today? It's the Spirit of God. Amen? At work in you. Amen. Amen, amen.